This is Daniel Fagella of Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. In our more robust market research work, almost everyone we work with is a large enterprise, whether it be in life sciences and financial services and kind of the intergovernmental space. It's big, big organizations. But as for our members of Emerge Plus, they vary much more widely. We have a lot of consultants on Emerge Plus who are interested in our frameworks, best practices, and use cases to help their clients. And we also have a lot of really interesting startups who are Emerge Plus members. Our guest this week happens to be an Emerge Plus member with us and someone who is leading a very, very interesting firm in the Bay Area called Lean Tass. Our guest this week is Sanjeev Agrawal. He is currently President and Chief Operating Officer at LeanTAS. LeanTAS has raised over a quarter billion dollars to take on the application of AI in the healthcare space. Sanjeev has his bachelor's and master's from MIT and was head of global product marketing for Google back in the earlier 2000s. LeanTAS claims to be working with over 300 hospitals around the country, which is a rather sizable number, helping them to make more efficient use of their infusion centers, their operating rooms, their inpatient beds, and more. Sanjeev walks us through sort of the state of technology adoption in the healthcare space in a way that I think is pretty interesting with a lot of use of analogy, and then talks a bit about some of the ways that hospitals can start small with leveraging smaller data sets to improve some of their existing processes. We're talking a lot about the back office operations of healthcare, not so much diagnostics, but some of the stuff that's quote unquote unsexy, but still very critical for making sure that healthcare facilities are financially solvent and that patients are treated well. For those of you that are interested, Sanjeev is also the author of Better Healthcare Through Math, a recently published book, and he had mentioned that our subscribers can have a PDF copy of that book if they're in touch with him. So you can reach out to LeanTAS or find Sanjeev Agrawal on LinkedIn. Pretty easy to find the fella if you look Sanjeev LeanTAS, for example. Pretty easy to find him. And if you too would like to be a member of Emerge Plus, again, one of the ways that Sanjeev got on our radar was by becoming a member, and we're grateful to have him here. If you'd also like to learn about our full use case library here at Emerge, as well as our best practices for AI adoption, strategy, and ROI, then be sure to go to emerj.com slash p1, that's p as in plus, and then the number one, emerj.com slash p1, and learn more about Emerge Plus if you'd like to be a member too. We're awful proud of the folks that are with us there. We hope to have you as part of the community as well. Without further ado, this is an exciting episode with Sanjeev Akrawal of LeanTest here on the AI in Business podcast. So, Sanjeev, I'm glad we're finally able to catch up. I've been following you guys for a little while now, and you've uh, nudged me on LinkedIn a few times, too. And here we finally are. We're going to talk about your world, which is healthcare, uh, a very challenging place to apply AI, but a place full of rife opportunities. I want to talk first about the state of healthcare. Why is it ripe for AI? How far behind is it? Um, you have the inner perspective on this. How do you like to explain the lay of the land? Yeah, you know, Dan, if you compare um, healthcare to other industries like transportation, and if you look at, say, what Uber has done or Waze has done or the airlines have to do by way of pricing or package delivery like UPS or FedEx, I have to say hospitals and, and healthcare is at least 30 to 50 years behind. And there are many systemic reasons for it, and we can get into those. The biggest one is, you know, it's a hyper-local industry that's been traditionally quite protected. It's hard to build a hospital. We're also dealing with people's lives and the nature of how healthcare has evolved has meant that it's not really a technologically savvy place yet. It's changing, 
but the degree of competition is fairly limited. And you know, with lack of competition, uh, given it's a hyperlocal industry where you know patients have say a radius of twenty or thirty miles where they'll they'll go and see a doctor, the way the industry has evolved has not required it to focus much on efficiency or on using advanced tools to to get to the point where they're making better, faster decisions as opposed to other industries. So you have, I guess they're not barriers to innovation, but they are reasons to drag your feet. You're not you're not punished in the same way that other businesses are that are less hyper-local, that are less regulated in yeah. similar ways. But you know, it's not as if healthcare is alone. If you think as, as to when fi- the fire was lit under retail, it's when e-commerce started. When you think about when the fire was lit uh, for the transportation companies is when Amazon started becoming really efficient. So fire is being lit now because Medicare reimbursement can't keep going up forever. Capital spending isn't necessarily as cheap as it was, so you can't keep building your way out of trouble. And so the part of the problems we work on, for example, there are many parts of AI application in healthcare. The part that I'm most familiar with is capacity planning, where you have 6,000 hospitals that have put $300 million each into the ground. That's $2 trillion of assets that aren't being used efficiently. UPS uses their assets or how Delta Airlines uses their assets. Many of the same techniques of supply-demand matching can now be applied to healthcare. Got it. So, and, and this is clearly a big aspect of the game. Like you said, there's a lot of facets to healthcare. And you know we've covered on the show everything from outside of directly hospitals, you know, drug development, all the way down to detecting insurance, health insurance fraud, or whatever the case may be. But, you know, matching, you know, the people to the doctor, the people to the MRI machine or the lab or whatever the case may be, big logistical, you know, hubbub there. And and there's a lot of ways to get that wrong. Well, many more ways to get it wrong than right, I would suspect. So maybe you could make the analogy for us of what the UPSs of the world or some of our audience may not be familiar even with the airlines are doing to make matching happen and how that pairs up with how hospitals can take the next step. Yeah, I'll give you the UPS. Let's take UPS, let's take maybe Delta Airlines, and let's take Waze. And all of these are are relevant. If you think about UPS, UPS delivers about 16 million packages every day. And so, for example, today uh, happens to be Wednesday. UPS knows that roughly 16 million packages will be shipped next Wednesday from point A to point B, but it doesn't know which point A and which point B. They're able to provide that level of service by being pretty darn good at predicting how many packages will be shipped from zip code A to zip code B for an infinite number of matching pairs. They're able to line up their planes. They're able to line up their trucks. They're able to line up truck drivers. They're able to line up how each UPS warehouse is going to load every truck when it gets there in discrete 10-minute segments of time. Otherwise, we wouldn't be getting our packages, right? In the middle of snowstorms in Boston, in the middle of bad weather, and I frankly have never had a UPS package lost or even not delivered. Now, I live in California, so maybe that's that's the reason why. But that's one example of predicting and prescribing and matching your assets to the real demand signal. Yeah. Now, if you take airlines, there's 20,000 airports in this country. Before COVID and hopefully very soon after COVID, on any given day, any American could get up any morning and say, I want to fly from airport A to airport B. Yep. 20,000 times 19,999 possible combinations that Delta Airlines every day has to predict how they're going to fill their planes. So if you look at the load factor planning, where I have to staff each flight, I have to make sure each gate is able to take the type of aircraft that flies from Bangor, Maine to New York City, which is a very different aircraft that goes from New York City to San Francisco. The third example is Waze. 
right? How does Waze know that it's going to take 52 minutes for me to get from Los Gatos to San Francisco airport? Well, it's built a fingerprint of every quarter mile segment of road for every five minute segment of the day of what the average speed is based on the data that's collected from Android phones and elsewhere. Yeah. All of this data is very similar to what exists in hospitals. It's just not been used for the same purposes. And so we have a situation where on the very same day you have MRI machines that aren't being used. But if I were to ask for an MRI appointment, it might take me three weeks to get one. Why is that, right? So the same techniques of stochastic, matching stochastic demand, which is the case of UPS, uncertain demand with uncertain supply applies to healthcare. And it's only now that the data in electronic format and the computational power and the ability to push prescriptive analytics to a phone or to a device to get people on the front lines to take the right decisions. Just like a, a driver, a UPS driver gets their manifesto every morning saying, this is your route and these are the packages you're going to drop, right? And that's based on very precise planning of what's the fastest way to deliver these packages. There, think about the notion of bin packing. The trucks that UPS has don't change that much between December and January, but the volume changes a lot because people are sending gifts all over the yeah. December. January, you got a lot of business traffic coming up. So how do you pack your trucks to minimize the total number of trucks you need so you don't have to spend a lot of more capital in, say, December than in January? A lot of these techniques are now starting to be applied to healthcare. Yeah, and, you know, there's a part of me that, you know, when we talk about Waze, clearly a very modern business, a very kind of data in the DNA kind of business. It's like, all right, well, it makes sense that they, you know, staff up with enough data scientists, start from total scratch. Uh, you can build something pretty amazing. Airlines, obviously, total opposite, right? I mean, this is a pretty, I'm sure there's a lot of really ugly old software being used in airports, just like there is in hospitals. Maybe it's not as old. I'm sure it's not as old, it but, is. but, it, but You're right. some of it's probably pretty clunky, right? Sabre, which is the electronic booking system that's still kind of the out there, is, is really old. But what these guys have done is they haven't just depended on the core platforms. They've extracted the data to make meaning out of it and do predictive and prescriptive stuff. Healthcare is still a little bit stuck on the maturity spectrum of descriptive analytics where I'm admiring the problem. What happened yesterday to diagnostic analytics where I understand why bad things happened to predictive analytics saying what is going to happen and prescriptive analytics that says, let's make the right thing happen by predicting what's going to happen. Yeah. If you think about what airlines have done, they're far on the right side of the spectrum. Healthcare still is a little bit stuck on you know, what is the reporting and the dashboards telling me, not necessarily the so what of what can I do differently. Yeah. That's what's happening now. Yep. Well, I mean, I guess airlines have a little bit more competitive tension than hospitals too, right? Because <laughs> I, I could just jump on uh, Lufthansa if uh, Virgin doesn't want to take me, right? I mean, it, but, it, but at the hospital, it's like I, I kind of, unless I want to drive another two hours, this is sort of going to where I'm going to get my MRI. And, and price transparency, right? I mean, if, if you choose true, to be the airline true. that doesn't want to play on kayak, good luck to you. Because, you know, and Southwest is the only one, by the way, because it's so operationally efficient that can choose to say, I don't play by the rules. I'll be the only one. You have to go to my website. But yeah. then when you go there, $54 for a ticket that some other airline charges 500 bucks. Exactly. For. So yeah. if that efficient, you can choose to not play. Yeah. But yeah, that is very different. The competition's just way, way starker. So yeah, so what you're getting at is they're using old software, but you know they've had the the light, you know, the fireplace underneath them. And 
they've been able to pull data out of these core systems and do something useful and predictive to drive efficiencies with them. And hospitals have got to get to the same kind of extraction from the, the ugly systems and then adding a level of efficiency on top of it. And clearly, there's huge hospitals that have you know hundreds of beds or you know chains of hospitals have thousands of beds where you know we we might have big volumes of how many MRIs happen in a given month or whatever. And then there's other facilities where the numbers are much smaller. Yeah. Uh, but there's yeah. still potentially some some opportunity there. For you, when you look at the kind of places to start where maybe we don't have tons of data, but predictive can still add value, what are some of those for you? Yeah. So if we break the, the hospital world up into the inpatient side and the ambulatory side, so uh, ambulatory meaning just where you walk in and walk out, a clinic or an infusion center. Inpatient would be surgery or inpatient beds. If we break the world up into both sides, both have massive opportunities. Let me give you an example. If we look at the historical patterns of who goes to a clinic or how many patients uh, and what duration they need to be seen for, whether they're new patients or returning patients to a clinic, or say if you want to get chemotherapy done, Historical timestamps can help you understand what the volume and mix of patients is going to be in the future. That's the demand side of the equation where you can come pretty close to what the answer is going to be, even with small data, even with small sample sizes. Now, that's like uh, ways predicting a, you know, the average speed on a quarter mile length of road. It doesn't need a lot of data to do that necessarily. Now, on the supply side, each doctor's choreography, how they like to see patients. Some of them like to spend more time, some less. Some have their MA, uh, take care of the patient for the most part, and then they come in for the, you know, be the soloist in the orchestra that does because theirs is the scarce resource. Both of these can be matched because this variable supply of demand for patients and variable supply of the doctor's time, you can create a fingerprint of how a doctor likes to see a patient to maximize Access. What I mean by that is you can create a template that you provide to the clinic to say, what is the sequence by which a doctor should see their patients given the number of rooms, the number of staff, and the, the other people practicing on that day? That's one example of how you can increase access on the ambulatory side. Same logic applies to, say, chemotherapy or other outpatient procedures. On the inpatient side, if you look at the path of a patient through, say, the bed units, if I'm hospitalized and I have to be in a bed for two, three, five days, you can predict unit by unit. If I was there because I got my orthopedic surgery done versus neurosurgery or I came in through the ER, there's a bunch of historical data that you can use to predict how long I'm going to spend in the hospital and what the likelihood is that I will be delayed in discharge, for example, because you know I don't have the right insurance or I don't have a family to pick me up. There are many signals you can get to focus in on patients that you might want to discharge faster or enable them to get a sniff or enable them to get transportation to go home as a way to unlock capacity and get more patients placed. All right. So these are a couple of examples where you don't need a gazillion gigabytes of data. The timestamps you have in your EHR are good enough. Got it. Okay. And I think, you know, something that maybe folks in healthcare certainly work in this operation side of healthcare probably know this already. I imagine a lot of folks tuned in from other industries may not be aware of how big of an issue or an opportunity this matching problem is. It feels like, well, okay, we got in six MRIs instead of eight. It's like, what right. does that really matter? But, but as it turns out, it really does. 
talk a little bit about the business impact there because I, I, I feel like I almost skipped over it, but I want to cover why this is such a big problem. You know, and let me start the answer with a non-healthcare example to give you a sense for the magnitude of this problem. Like I said, healthcare is a very asset-intensive industry and one that is very safety-conscious, thank goodness, for yep. all the right reasons. Yep, yep. One analog is airlines because, you know, every morning before COVID, 3 million Americans would get into a 200,000-pound box of steel and be shot across the sky. Yeah. And everyone landed safely. There were a couple of these sully situations, but airlines are in no way, shape, or form less safety-conscious than hospitals is what I'm trying to get to. Now, if you think about the one one metric that has an airline make money or not not make money, if I could only choose one, it's the load factor. Out of every 100 seats on a Southwest plane, how many are filled versus empty when the plane's in the air? The second uh, axis, of course, is how often is the plane in the air, right? Yeah. Which, which uh, elements to it. The same thing with an MRI machine or an operating room. Why? Because you spend a lot of money to build these things. Right. And if you keep spending money to build more of these things before you use the ones that you have well, that's the equivalent of Southwest or Delta buying 50 extra planes and kind of saying, yeah, if I utilize it at 45%, it's good enough. Yeah. No, it's not. Right. Yeah. So when the Piper comes calling, which is capital runs out or your hospitals, and they all recognize it now, have there is a danger of going the way of the banks where online banking made sure that, you know, we used to have, I don't know, 8,000 banks in the United States, and now we have 4,000 or some number like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's a bit of an existential thing right now, which is why the big focus, focus on efficiency. Yeah, and, and the airline analogy is really good because you can draw the straight line. You can say, okay, MRI machines, okay, all these big buildings we're using, all these very expensive staff. You know, we only have so many brain surgeons. You know, we, we only have so many heart surgeons, for crying out loud. And uh, – yeah the idea of make or break being how well we can pair those with demand and, and, and make sure we're using them effectively, I think drives the point home. feels like it's probably ob obfuscated by how wonky payment works in healthcare, right? I, th I guess in, in airlines, it's sort of like, how many tickets did we sell? And there's a feedback loop that feels like it's a little bit more directly attached to that metric. Well, in healthcare, it's- it, Oh, totally. It, yeah. I think not only is there no consumer price transparency, in a sense, it's good that the consumer doesn't have to care, right? And as a very good friend of mine likes to say, unfortunately, nowhere in the world, and especially in our country, there there is no money in prevention. That's a real <laughs> shame. That's a real shame. Right? There's only money in, in procedures and cure. That's a whole other debate about are we eating right? Are we exercising enough? Yeah. Are, we, are we actually incentivizing people to stay healthy? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you're absolutely right that the... the uh, one step removed from, I mean, let me give you some stats, and these are scary stats, Dan. Even if our population grew at 1% a year, and uh, because the two ends of the spectrum, kids below the age of 10 and, and people above the age of 65 are growing so fast, these are the two biggest consumers of healthcare on a per capita basis. You're a young guy, you don't need much healthcare. No. I'm getting point where, you know, 15 years from now, I'll be 65 and I'll be on that U-shaped curve on the other end of it. My kids, if they're below 10, are using more healthcare than everybody in the middle. Huh. So demand for healthcare, and by the way, every second American has a chronic disease. So you multiply all of that, the next 10, 20, 30 years, efficiency is not a luxury anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. 
especially when you're, you're right, capitated payments with Medicare basically saying, I'll pay you a bundle payment for your knee surgery. It's no longer piecemeal. Well, I better get that knee surgery done in a hospital setting uh, for much cheaper and do more of them, hopefully at a profit. Yeah, man. So yeah, the, the heat is on for a number of reasons. Um, as you've mentioned, obviously, the, the demographics number is going to be really hard to change. I mean, that's just where we're headed right now. I know there was one other example we talked about off mic around looking at claims, speaking of kind of payment and whatnot. Maybe we can wrap on this other example of maybe a use of small data, use of, of AI in the claim space. What's, a, what's another one that's good for healthcare folks to understand? Yeah, that's a great point. And, and, and you know, just, just to, to build on your point, we're talking about administrative and more back office things like yes. scheduling as opposed to uh, direct cancer care. So there's some incredible work that people like Grail and others are doing on the cancer side, as well as heart disease, et cetera, et cetera. We focus more on the, on the back end. But on the claim side, the fraud detection side, many of the more administrative functions, I'm not even sure you need that much AI or ML even. Yeah. It's, Sometimes you just basic rule-based stuff. For example, before I get my procedure done, can the hospital proactively really know whether my insurance company is going to reimburse them and the patient for the procedure? That, by the way, is also fairly complex given how complex the insurance rules are, but they are fairly deterministic. The answer is yes or no. So given the CPT code, given the the, the nature of the, who the doctor is, whether they're in-network or out-of-network, I should pretty much always be able to understand if this is going to be reimbursed or not. Obviously, fraud is another big area where you can imagine you can look at patterns for who's making what claims and how often and what zip code and what insurance they have and what credit card they use, which is not dissimilar from you know what Amex might do. Oh, 100%. Uh, yeah, we've, we've had Amex's leadership on and the other credit card folks. But you're actually saying, what's surprising to me, just as you're talking, you're like, oh, we could even use rules-based stuff immediately in my mind, it's like, are we not? <laughs> there's, there's some part of me that's like, wait a second, we don't even have the rules based stuff. We don't even have like yeah. the, the American Express in 1965, you know, like, like, we don't even have that stuff going on. So to be fair, you know, the tax law looks simple when you read a medical reimbursement manual. Right. Not that I'm saying I keep I, I stay up at night reading this stuff. But <laughs> it's not easy. Oh, I can right? imagine. Yeah. Got a hundred thousand uh, page IRS tax code, and I think if you add up all the different insurance companies and what they're willing to pay for, yeah, and how yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, even the rules based system, you're saying it, it's a it's a tougher challenge than people suspect. I would imagine there's some things where it's like if the dollar amount is like some astronomic margin over anything we've collected in the last year, like flag it sure. before you process it, right? There's some there's some overarching rules that we could probably lay out, as I'm sure the credit card folks have. But in your opinion, even with smaller data and just looking at our instances, there's maybe a rules opportunity to just make some of that stuff more efficient. Yes, you, you hit the nail right on the head that there are a bunch of anomalies that, right, that are right off the bat, yep. right? You know, we've noticed even data where it's just simple human error. For example, yep. if I have timestamps that say that a surgery took 37 hours, chances are someone picked the wrong date for when it ended, right? Three, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yep, yep. So, yeah, I build someone for 37 hours. Another example is if I'm using a tissue or an implant in a procedure and it costs a million dollars, well, chances are that it came in a 12 by 12 inch square and I only used one one forty fourth of it. And I somehow made a human error to yeah. say I used the entire tissue. All of these things, even if you parade it down to the simplest rules, 
I think there's opportunity there. Yeah, cool. Okay. So other examples of potentially starting small for efficiency, but I like the airplane analogy. I'm not going to lie. It's not the not the first thing I thought we were going to talk about today, but it made a lot of sense. And hopefully it does for those of you listening in as well. Uh, Sanjeev, I know that's all we have for time. I have to say, I'm really proud to have smart companies like you guys as Emerge Plus members. It makes me smile to know cutting edge people are using some of our work. And it also makes me smile to see really smart people working in a very hard industry. So I'm excited to follow you in the year ahead. And thank you so much for joining us. Dan, thank you. And if I may, just one little uh, anecdote or, or plug for, for if your listeners want to know more about this, there's actually a book that we wrote. It's called Better Healthcare Through Math. And it's something that is available on Amazon. If they want copies, frankly, uh, happy to send your listeners a free copy, even a free Kindle copy, if they write to you or me. So however you want to do it. Cool. Yeah, folks, uh, feel free to just hit info at Emerge, or you can look up Lean Task. Sanjeev is the, the guest today. I appreciate the kind extension. And I know we had mentioned that book uh, even before our interview. So certainly some of our listeners might be interested in that as well. Thanks again for being able to join us, Sanjeev. Thank you, Dan. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Sanjeev for being able to join us and thank you to you for listening all the way through. It was kind of him to extend the offer for their book, Better Healthcare Through Math. Feel free again to reach out to Sanjeev Agarwal on LinkedIn or just email LeanTask, let them know you came from our podcast and grab a copy there or join Emerge Plus, E-M-E-R-J dot com slash P1. If you want to become part of our community and have access to our AI use case library and best practice guides, as well as our growing list of AI white papers. We recently published a white paper about the seven fundamentals of AI strategy, which I hope you'll enjoy if you become a member there as well. So that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in again, and I will catch you in our next episode here on the AI and Business Podcast.